light the way. Let's look in Psalm 139. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Light the way. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. One through six. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my setting down, you know my rising up, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path in my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love your word. We love every word, Lord, that you animate to us and bring to light and life so that it's more than just pages in the book of the Bible, but it is life to us. It is, as Peter said, you have the words of life. Lord, it teaches us how to live. It shows us that in all the things that fulfill the appetites, that nothing actually fulfills us or ultimately satisfies us until you bring it to life. Lord, you are a lifeline. You are the source of life. In you we live and move and have our being. There isn't one breath that we draw. There isn't one heartbeat that takes place in our chest that doesn't come from the God who's given it. And Lord, that you continue to sustain us and give us life. Lord, we pray that in this time that we do not reflect on that with regret and think about how we've taken what you have provided and squandered it, used it in unlawful ways or dishonorable ways to you. But Lord, that we could look at our life and realize that we have spent the greater portion of it in honor and service to you, the one who gave it. And Lord, and we want to return that appreciation. So today, Lord, we pray as we read your word, as I preach this message, that it would find its place in all of our hearts today. Lord, that it would find its way into our lives and that we really would, every single one of us, can honor you by saying it was light and life to me. Lord, thank you for your words because they are life. But we need you to speak them to us. Lord, we need more than a sermon. Lord, we need something greater than that. We need the God who's actually given us the mind and the ability to understand, to speak it to us. Lord, I pray that you would highlight the way, Father. Let every one of us receive from you today more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 139 here. I want to share something here with you. When we use the word truth, I've heard a lot of people in my lifetime and out of my own life talk to me about truth. If we were just to ask the question, what is truth? If I were to ask you that question, what is truth? I'm sure we'd all have a little bit of variation to answer there. Then that kind of just shows that in different levels, we think of it in different ways. And so there isn't one full answer to it because when we think of truth, we do know this, that it's far more reaching than we have the finite capacity to completely understand. 
There's a lot of times when we think that in, in our limited way that we've kind of come to the truth or the, what, what did I say, the truth that actually just kind of molds our life to what we need it to be. And then later on, as we discover through the years that what we thought was true was really not quite as true as we thought it was. But when you read every word here, this is truth. It's not just truth, but it's the truth that God wanted us to know. And so if we just highlight that thought, there's a few things that I think about when I think of truth. And one of them is this. There's a general sense of truth. Like two plus two is four. There's a truth that the ground I stand on is solid enough to keep me standing on it. There's a sense that there's certain kinds of truths that we just know that that's just the way it is. And it's a general truth. It's kind of the head knowledge, as we call it. I know that to be true. But it doesn't really necessarily, like when you're doing math, it's important. But outside of that, it's still important. But it doesn't really feel like it has a personal application to us. But then there's kind of a crisis truth. And we know it when we're in a time of crisis. And when, so when I read these words to you, you know my downsetting and my uprising. Is that a general truth to you? It might be. If it's not in your life circumstances, you're not reflecting on it. There's not a need or a feel to reflect on it. But if you're in the middle of crisis right now, or you're suffering through a tragedy, then this takes on a whole new meaning for you in a subjective sense. Now, it doesn't mean that it wasn't just as real and just as true prior to that crisis, but now that you're in a time of crisis, it means something different. And so when God says, in this word, you know me, the psalmist is saying this as if to present it as if you were saying it yourself, you know me. You know me in this time. You know what I'm going through. You know me emotionally. You know me spiritually. You know me through and through. And you know whether I've got what it takes to get through this. But then there's another side to truth, and I call it transformational truth. It's when this truth has entered into your life in such a way as it has transformed the way you think, the way you feel, what you do, on the basis of what it says. So if we think about this, you know me. You're in a situation in a lifestyle that now you've moved from crisis, and what are you going to do in that crisis with that God knows you? See, He knows your crisis. He knows what you're going through. He knows when you're not in a crisis, and you feel like all is well, and He still knows you in that situation. And it's great to do more than remember it because at some point we have to take what the Bible says and transition it into an application for life. So when you see somebody who's depressed or you see somebody who's anxious about life, you recognize they're responding to this truth, but maybe not the way God intended for them to respond to it. And so instead, we kind of buy into another idea, and that is maybe God isn't there in this moment. Maybe God doesn't see me for where I am. Maybe of all this stress that's going on in my mind in the moment, that nobody really cares. And even if they do, they can't do anything about it. And that might be you. But at some point, you're going to have to face, is what this says, is it real? Does God know you? And if, that, if you do say that, what does that matter? 
He knows when I'm setting down. He knows when I'm rising up. And the richness of the psalmist in this psalm, he makes the statements. He says, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before. You've come in behind me and in front of me. You have taken in whatever situation I find myself in, I'm not worried about it because you're there. You're there. Nothing is taking the God who created me by surprise. This situation or this person who is trying to do me harm, who may be looking like from their point of vantage that they are able to take advantage of me and do what they want in this situation. And it may feel like that and it may be presenting and may actually be coming out like that to you. But does God know? Does God know? And if He does, what is He doing right now with that knowledge? Is He leaving you stranded? Is He setting you up for a fall? Or maybe what looks like a fall in the moment is really going to be a point of security that you never saw coming. Amen to that, brother. You know... So he says, you know my downsetting and my uprising. This speaks of what you are doing. God just, he knows you, but he knows what you're doing. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, we'll finish these few verses here. It says, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You can, I don't care if you're an atheist today. You're not running from Him. You're not getting away from it. You may be in, the, you may be in a, 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 a daze right now, but one day it will be very, very clear. The, the very fact of the matter is, is that I can ignore things that do exist and that's not going to change their existence. I can believe that they're not there and that's not going to change the fact that they're there. And here is a man who, his very creator has now become his sustainer. And we have to remember that. That's God's my, God's my sustainer. And I love this because God is sovereign. Look over your life. Look over your life. Brothers and sisters, can we say an amen to there's been points in my life that it looked like God lost control. He just let go of the wheel and let it fall down its course. And now I just feel it felt like at that time, at that time, everything was ruined and messed up. But now that a few years have gone, and now I've got to look back on those events, God was there all that time. See, I remember as a little boy, I remember my dad driving drunk behind the wheel. I remember those days where it looked like, I remember those times where he was getting closer and closer to the edge and I feared for my life, thinking it's going to be over with here soon. And I remember thinking in, my, in, in times when I'd been praying, I remember praying this phrase, God, if you exist, if you are real, please, and you can fill in the blank, but I remember praying that as a young boy because for me, God just wasn't there. Because I looked at the tragedy and the suffering and the drunkenness of my father and I couldn't see God in that picture. But I remember a day when life had changed for me. 
I remember being able to reflect on that years later and how God had met me in a very powerful way. And because of what God had done in my life, I realized I was so wrong. God was there the whole time. God was always there. He saw the suffering. He heard the cries. He was there to preserve my life. And He was there when I wasn't there. He was there when I was making statements and accusations against Him and not realizing at the time how the only protection I had, the only one who was keeping me safe and keeping my life was the God who had given me life. And I just had finally come to the place where I had recognized it. So I wasn't away from Him. He wasn't away from me. And then I began to look on the Lord with this appreciation that when my Father had forsaken me, my Heavenly Father was there. He was there. You know, I love, it's an old movie, uh, I think it's called um, Love Comes Softly. And he makes a statement in that movie. He says, it's not that God will keep you from having hardship. It's that He will always be with you when it happens. So here's a few things. God is, God knows when you're doing things that are right. You know, and sometimes I think that that's the only time we think He is there. When, we, when we're doing things that are right. Or sometimes, for some of us, it's that's when we think He's not there. Let me explain. When you do things that are wrong, you automatically feel guilty for it. When you do for right, sometimes you feel like acknowledging it is just an attitude of pride. It's just me trying to lift up myself. And so we think of doing right as something to be careful about accepting the recognition or the praise or the acknowledgement for. And sometimes some of us are in that boat. I, uh, I remember I heard a preacher one time say to this young lady who said, he said to, he, she said to him, he said, I don't think that God sees me or knows what I'm doing. And he said, well, then just cuss. Say a swear word right now. And she said, I can't do that. And he said, well, why can't you? Because God will hear it. God sees it all. You know, there's, the, there's no way that you can close the dressing room when it comes to God. God sees everything completely naked. He knows you. So there's this sense in all of us, this, this desire for acknowledgement, recognition, and a sense of appreciation. So when we do right, all of these things seem to be involved. I get acknowledged oftentimes, but not always. When I do something that's right, I get recognized when something's right. Sometimes even appreciated when it's right. But when it's wrong, I don't get any of those things. But God knows you when you do things wrong too. And it's a different kind of acknowledgement. God acknowledges you when you're wrong. Remember this, that it's a different acknowledgement, the same great love. See, God knows us when we do things wrong and He does things to correct us. But that doesn't mean that He doesn't deeply love us. There's also a recognition, and I think this is really important because the maturing love brings correction. It's not a pampering love. God matures us. And so when He corrects us, don't take it wrongly. When things happen in your life because God is correcting you and trying to bring, get you back onto where you need to be, recognize He's not pampering you. There's times when we don't need encouragement, folks. The last thing on earth you need sometimes is somebody to encourage you. Let's just say I was working on my car the other day 
and I wasn't, but you know I do that frequently enough, right? And I was working on my car the other day, and uh, I frustratingly messed up the problem. And somebody comes beside me and says, you know what, you did a good job. You worked on it, and I'm sure it's not as bad as you think it is. And they're lying through their teeth. They know better than that. They know that I probably ruined it worse. Than, well, I, and in the end, they're just trying to say something, and the comfort isn't helping. And there's the times where the, I don't want your comfort. I need your truth. I need to know. So this recognition in when we've done wrong is a truth to bring correction so that things can be right. And then instead of appreciation, we get restoration. Things restore. Things are brought back to the way they need to be. Last thing I want to do on earth is, like I've been doing this week, is tearing out some of the walls and stuff in my house. And when it's all said and done, it looks worse or it's worse than it was when I started. I want it to look restored and be done and finished when it's over with. I want to just say this. If you're, if you're asking God to have his place in your life, expect him to finish the work. Expect him to finish it. Expect him to get the job done and done right. And when that happens, there's a deconstruction process. There's tearing some things out. And there's some things you don't need in your life. And it has to be gotten rid of. Doing the right thing does not always come with an immediate sense of reward. God knows is our grounding. See, I want to just say this because a lot of us are in this place of life and what we're trying to do is simply this. What we're trying to do is get an immediate sense of reward for doing what's right. And you're not getting it. And nobody ever promised that in this life that you were going to get that immediate sense of reward. But what grounds you to keep doing right is that God knows. In the end, He settles things in eternity. You know, when we finally get to take off this old clothing called the body, and we get to be clothed with our heavenly bodies from heaven, God knows, and He's going to restore and bring restitution for everything. I love that old song, that uh, those, all those toils of life, He'll one day, one glimpse of Him in glory, He'll repay. One glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. It's coming. Your day is coming. It just may not be feeling like it in the moment. Doing the wrong thing may not come with a lot of guilt. So we see this kind of complexity to life. Because God knows it is the best compelling, it is the best thing to compel us to do the right thing. Listen to me. You may not feel right, but the fact that you have a conviction that God knows is what should be compelling you to do it, not the guilt. I don't have to have guilt to do what's right. I just have to know that God is watching. And that makes the difference for my life. It makes a difference in what I do. And believe me, the person who rides this on the basis of guilt will do what's wrong because they're not feeling guilty in the moment. The person who does it on the basis of God knows has no room to do it otherwise than just to follow that plan and purpose that God knows. And I see that and I know it. He says that he knows and that he understands. Isn't that awesome? That we have a God who knows and he understands. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my setting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. He understands what you are feeling. He understands what you're doing. He knows what you're doing. He understands what you're feeling. Let's read this verse, Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 17. 
Ah, oh, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 49, 14 through 17. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. See, in this beginning here we read, the Lord has forsaken me. This crushing, overwhelming emotion. Have we not at times all felt that? Where am I in this moment? And the Lord has forgotten me. And God is giving a word to show them what you feel in the moment is not the reality of eternity. God understands when you feel restless. I call it anxious. I've struggled this a lot in life. I want to give you another quote from Hudson Taylor. I am no longer anxious about anything as I realize that he is able to carry out his will for me. It does not matter where he places me or how. That is for him to consider, not me. That is for him. I think that's the key to the anxious heart and the anxious thoughts. Are you really secure in that God understands? See, we've manipulated faith, and if I say the right thing, that means I'm there. But that's not what, we, what really actually is faith. I can say a lot of things and still struggle deeply in my heart to believe that they're true. But when I do, there's this sense of God has the authority in my life. I don't need to worry about where I'm at. He'll be the one to oversee it all. He also says, for in the easiest positions, he will give me grace. And in the most difficult ones, his grace is sufficient. Fear rushes in, not because God is absent, but because you started feeding on the idea that he was. Let me say that one more time. Fear rushes in, not because God is absent, but because you started feeding on the idea that he was. See, we wouldn't have any reason to fear if we stopped thinking as if God were not there. The same one who created the universe. You know, you kind of think of your life as this little speck, and it's like this field of grass, huge field of grass, and you're just one blade of grass. Why would God see me? One, because he's eternal and infinite, and that, that's not a problem for him. It's not like the president trying to pick you out in a crowd of people. It's a God who infinitely knows every thought of your mind and every hair on your head. He knows you infinitely. That's why it's not a problem for Him. So if that were a security in our hearts and we truly had faith in that, why would we be fearing anything? Here's another thing. God understands when you feel satisfied. This idea, I got what I wanted, can be good or a bad thing. 
I don't know what it's springing out of, but think about this. Our sense of satisfaction should be based on God's faithfulness to meet our real needs. What we want hopefully, hopefully comes out of that. So this thought is this. God, you know how to meet my real need. Why am I where I am? That question doesn't matter if you know God will meet the need of your life. There's times I put my kids in difficult and awkward positions that they were uncomfortable with because I knew that one of the needs of their life was to learn how to overcome this, to learn how to work through this. I needed them to mature in the process. I couldn't leave them as babies and toddlers for all their life. You have to grow and become a man. You have to mature. This is going to be uncomfortable, but I know your greatest need. And you're going to be barking against me while I'm doing it. You're not going to like me right now in this season. But in a later season, you're going to love me because I was faithful to you. I was there truly as you needed me. And God is no less, infinitely more able to be there for us in every situation in life. We have no reason but to be satisfied because we know He's there. He understands. He knows what you're thinking. I know what my kids are thinking a lot of times when they're going through it. They don't want to do this. I know you don't want to do it, but you're going to anyway. And you're not going to get your way yet. But when you see what the outcome is, and the maturity actually takes place, you will later on tell me, I now wanted what I didn't want then. If I could have seen this, I would have wanted so that's where our I got what I wanted comes from. I wanted maturity. I just didn't realize how much I didn't feel like I wanted it. When you feel depressed, God understands. Grief naturally comes with tragedy. And the question you will have to ask yourself is, did you let grief take you too far? See, we can't escape, nor should we expect to, grief when difficult things happen. But the reality is that we can let it take us too far. We can walk with it beyond the time that we were supposed to. So has the pain redefined what you know God is in your heart? And this is why I say we need to be careful where head truth has become our source because this is where it dies. I knew that from my head. I knew God would be with me. I believed that in my head, but now I'm going through it. And I've let, I've let the grief take me where God wouldn't want me to be. Because I didn't let that truth into my heart. Well, this was the time. I remember a time of great depression in my life when I was, um, when I was going through, as I had shared before, at times of the suicidal feelings and thoughts just bombarding me. I didn't feel like anybody loved me. I believed lies about my family and the people around me. I lost the sense of my purpose and reason for life, and I didn't want to live. I never attempted it, but I thought about it often. I thought often about why I didn't, there was no purpose or reason for my existence. I can tell you this. I never thought of a day where I'd be looking at all these people in the face and preaching to you. I never foresaw a day that I would preach or minister to anybody at that time. See, that wasn't the thought, and my future and what God had for me wasn't in mind, and it won't be in your time. 
you won't be thinking about, you could be thinking about the could-be's, but you won't know what the will-be's will be till later. But I remember that depression having such an authority over my thoughts and the way I thought that there was no God in the way that I was thinking. See, the thing is, is I could have told you in my mind I believed there was a God. But I could also tell you that the way that I was, the way I was thinking and feeling in the moment, that God didn't exist. See, that's the difference between heart truth and head truth. Is you can know something in your head, but when you're faced where the rubber meets the road, you'll know if that truth was something you held onto with all your heart, or that was just something you were buying into in your head. And this is the difference between God knows and God understands as being a literal application to life or just a head knowledge for the moment. So God sovereignly allows for situations to occur because He knows that unless He matures you to heart truth, your head truth is not going to save you. It's not going to get you where you need to be. Lastly, here in this same verse in Psalm 139, 1-6, He says, and you comprehend. You know, you understand, and you comprehend. God knows where you're going. God knows where you're going. I love this thought. If we just today just got in a car and just stepped on the pedal and let go of the steering wheel, you can pretty much expect you're going to run into something, you're going to run into it hard. But because God knows where you're going, He's the one trying to do the steering, not you. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, he says this, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. <laughs> when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba, in your place. I am your Savior. See, here's a thought. You can let the current take you, or you can follow the map. Some of us just get in the boat and let the life just kind of take us where we want. Let me say something about this idea of the current taking you. Riding the current is someone who has no real sense of direction. And the hope that destiny will land them where they were meant to be no matter what they do about it. See, there's so many people who believe that destiny means I can't affect it. I'm not going to change my destiny by anything I do. They believe that they can actually live in opposition to that destiny and still land it. That is one of the most devious things that anybody could possibly believe. That I don't have to be a participant in the choices and in the direction of my life. And that is simply the reason why so many people have landed on the wrong side of the fence and are still remained there is because somehow they believe the destiny is going to get them out of that. And their, de their, their God is their belief in destiny, not in the one who gives them purpose and sense and actually gives them direction and obedience. Providence was never meant to assist, I'm sorry, providence was meant to assist the willing, not to liberate the fool. Providence was not meant to liberate the fool. 
I say this, if you want to make the wrong decisions of your life, do not expect you're going to land where God intended for you to be. You can't live any way you want and say God's going to make the final adjustments when it's all ended. God expects for us to do what He's called us to do. Obediently follow the Lord and you will land where God wanted you to. So those who follow the map, there's a big difference. Those who follow the map do have a real sense of direction. And their way of life is to live by the Word of God and conform to what God's providence confirms. See, we get it mixed up. Providence for many people is that God's going to rearrange circumstances in my life to get me out of the problems that I created. And really the providence of God was meant to confirm the will of God that you're walking in. Are you doing what God wants you to do? Well, you're like, I'm not sure. So God does something sovereign and great in our life and He begins to redirect situations in our life or allow for circumstances that help us know this was the direction God wanted me to go. I've been praying, Lord, show me what I needed to do. I'm not sure where to go. Give me some kind of a direction or help or guidance, maybe even a sign. And with that, you got what you needed to confirm the direction God wanted you to go. When we begin to look at providence as not this thing that will correct me when I just do what's wrong, but this helping guide me through life, we'll see again the whole idea behind God knows. Here's the thing. God knows can be a comfort to the sick, or God knows can be the direction for those who are walking the way that they need to go. I just want comfort for sickness until you need guidance for life. Then sickness doesn't matter anymore. You want to know where to go. So I just want to call to this. Let's begin to think more on the terms of why is it precious to know that God knows, that God understands, and that God comprehends? Why is that so important to my faith, to my life? Because that's the guiding force behind my knowing Him. I know that He knows no matter what I'm going through. I know that He knows when I'm praying through that difficult direction. I know that He knows when so-and-so is calling me out or doing me harm or saying things that are mean to me. I know that He sees me. He comprehends me. He's not got my life out of His control. And I love what Jesus says when He makes a statement. He said, you can do nothing to me except my Father had granted you the power. One last thing I would say is this. The only people who will know this are those who are the children of God. You are not going to know what it means to have the guidance of God. Yes, He will try and guide you to His salvation, but outside the blood of Jesus, you don't have what I'm talking about. It's not that He doesn't know and He doesn't understand, He doesn't comprehend. It's no security. It's no hope. When you get your life right with Jesus and you settle on this one fact that you will never live uh, one moral good deed or a thousand of them that will make place for the one sin that one sin that you've committed, much less a hundred of them, you will understand one thing, that this belongs to the children of God. This is for the people of God. It's not for those who are outside of Jesus Christ. If you're outside of Christ right now, you have only one objective, and that is to get into and be right with the Lord. You don't have anything else. You might have the security of money someday, but that won't be with you in your casket. You might have the security that everybody is telling you that you're a great person and you got the praises of the world. 
but that's not going to save you when you're finally on that final day. So we got to have only one hope, and that is that Jesus, it's his faithfulness, his blood, and his sacrifice that makes it right so that I can enter the kingdom of God. Out of that are all the treasuries of heaven. And knowing that God knows when you're saved makes all the difference in the world. Amen. I just want to call for an altar call here. I'm going to ask for the worship team to come up. Um, this altar call is going to be this.